The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green Chapter 2 Humanity's Temporal Range When I was 9 or 10, I saw a planetarium show at the Orlando Science Center in which the host, with no apparent emotion in his voice, explained that in about a billion years, the sun will be 10% more luminescent than it is now, likely resulting in the runaway evaporation of Earth's oceans. In about 4 billion years, the Earth's surface will become so hot that it will melt. In 7 or 8 billion years, the sun will be a red giant star, and it will expand until eventually our planet will be sucked into it, and any remaining earthly evidence of what we thought or said or did will be absorbed into a burning sphere of plasma. Thanks for visiting the Orlando Science Center. The exit is to your left. It has taken me most of the last 35 years to recover from that presentation. I would later learn that many of the stars we see in the night sky are red giants, including Arcturus. Red giants are common. It is common for stars to grow larger and engulf their once habitable solar systems. It's no wonder we worry about the end of the world. Worlds end all the time. A 2012 survey conducted across 20 countries found a wide variance in the percentage of people who believe humanity will end within their lifetimes. In France, 6% of those polled did. In the United States, 22%. This kind of makes sense. France has been home to apocalyptic preachers. The Bishop Martin of Tours, for instance, wrote, There is no doubt that the Antichrist has already been born. But that was back in the 4th century. American apocalypticism has a much more recent history. From Shaker predictions the world would end in 1794, to famed radio evangelist Harold Camping's calculations that the apocalypse was coming in 1994, and then, when it didn't happen, in 1995. Camping went on to announce that the end times would commence on May 21, 2011, after which would come five months of fire, brimstone, and plagues on earth, with millions of people dying each day, culminating on October 21, 2011, with the final destruction of the world. When none of this came to pass, Camping said, We humbly acknowledge we were wrong about the timing. Although, for the record, no individual ever humbly acknowledged anything while referring to themselves as we. I'm reminded of something my religion professor Donald Rogan once told me. Never predict the end of the world. You're almost certain to be wrong. And if you're right, no one will be around to congratulate you. Camping's personal apocalypse arrived in 2013 when he died at the age of 92. Part of our fears about the world ending must stem from the strange reality that for each of us, our world will end. And soon. In that sense, maybe apocalyptic anxieties are a byproduct of humanity's astonishing capacity for narcissism. How could the world possibly survive the death of its single most important inhabitant, me? But I think something else is at work. We know we will end in part because we know other species have ended. Modern humans, as we are called by paleontologists, have been around for about 250,000 years. This is our so-called temporal range, the length of time we've been a species. Contemporary elephants are at least 10 times older than us. Their temporal range extends back to the Pliocene Epoch, which ended more than 2.5 million years ago. Alpacas have been around for something like 10 million years, 40 times longer than us. The Tuatara, a species of reptile that lives in New Zealand, first emerged around 240 million years ago. They've been here a thousand times longer than we have, since before Earth's supercontinent of Pangaea began to break apart. We are younger than polar bears and coyotes and blue whales and camels. We are also far younger than many animals we drove to extinction, from the dodo to the giant sloth. In the spring of 2020, a few weeks after the emergence of a novel coronavirus began to shut schools and clear out grocery stores in the U.S., 
Someone sent me a collection they'd made of times I'd publicly mentioned my fear of an infectious disease pandemic. On the podcast, 10 Things That Scare Me, I'd listed near the top a global disease pandemic that will result in the breakdown of human norms. Years earlier, in a video about world history, I'd speculated about what might happen if some superbug shows up tomorrow and it travels all these global trade routes. In 2019, I'd said on a podcast, we all must prepare ourselves for the global pandemic we all know is coming. And yet, I did nothing to prepare. The future, even in its inevitabilities, always feels vague and nebulous to me, until it doesn't. After my kids' school closed, and after I'd found a mask that I'd bought years earlier to minimize sawdust inhalation while building their treehouse, but long before I understood the scope of the pandemic, I called my brother Hank and told him I was feeling frightened. Hank is the level-headed one, the sane one, the calm one. He always has been. We have never let the fact of my being older get in the way of Hank being the wise older brother. Ever since we were little, one of the ways I've managed my anxiety is by looking to him. My brain cannot reliably report to me whether a perceived threat is really real, and so I look to Hank. And I see that he's not panic, and I tell myself that I'm okay. If anything were truly wrong, Hank wouldn't be able to portray such calm confidence. So I told Hank I was scared. The species will survive this, he answered, a little hitch in his voice. The species will survive this? That's all you've got for me? He paused. I could hear the tremble in his breath, the tremble he's been hearing in my breath our whole lives. That's what I've got for you, he said after a moment. I told Hank I'd bought 60 cans of Diet Dr. Pepper so that I could drink two for each day of the lockdown, and only then could I hear the old smile, the my older brother is really is a piece of work smile. For someone who has spent four decades worrying about disease pandemics, he said, you sure don't know how disease pandemics work. One rule of retail marketing maintains that to maximize sales, businesses need to create a sense of urgency. Mega sale and soon, only a few tickets still available. These commercial threats, especially in the age of e-commerce, are almost always a fiction. But they're effective, an echo of our apocalyptic visions. If we feel a sense of urgency about the human experiment, maybe we'll actually get to work, whether that's rushing to save souls before the rapture or rushing to address climate change. I try to remind myself that back in the 4th century, Martin of Tours' eschatological anxiety must have felt as real to him as my current anxiety feels to me. A thousand years ago, floods and plagues were seen as apocalyptic portents because they were glimpses of a power far beyond our understanding. By the time I was growing up, amid the rise of computers and hydrogen bombs, Y2K and nuclear winter made for better apocalyptic worries. Today, these worries sometimes focus on artificial intelligence run amok or on a species-crushing pandemic that we have proven ourselves thoroughly unprepared for. But most commonly, my worry takes the form of climate anxiety or eco-anxiety, terms that did not exist a few decades ago but are now widespread phenomena. Humans are already in ecological catastrophe. In just 250,000 years, our behavior has led to the extinction of many species and driven many more into steep decline. This is lamentable, and it is also increasingly needless. We probably didn't know what we were doing thousands of years ago as we hunted some large animals to extinction, but we know what we're doing now. We know how to tread more lightly upon the earth. We could choose to use less energy, eat less meat, clear fewer forests, and we choose not to. As a result, for many forms of life, humanity is the apocalypse. 
There are worldviews that embrace cyclic cosmologies. Hindu eschatology, for example, lays out a series of multi-billion-year periods called kalpas, during which the world goes through a cycle of formation, maintenance, and then decline. But in linear eschatologies, the end times for humanity are often referred to as the end of the world, even though our departure from Earth will very probably not be the end of the world, nor will it be the end of life in the world. Humans are a threat to our own species and to many others, but the planet will survive us. In fact, it may only take life on Earth a few million years to recover from us. Life has bounced back from far more serious shocks. 250 million years ago, during the Permian extinction, ocean surface waters likely reached 104 degrees Fahrenheit or 40 degrees Celsius. 95% of Earth's species went extinct, and for 5 million years afterward, Earth was a dead zone with little expansion of life. 66 million years ago, an asteroid impact caused a dust cloud so huge that darkness may have pervaded Earth for over two years, virtually stopping photosynthesis and leading to the extinction of 75% of land animals. Measured against these disasters, we're just not that important. When Earth is done with us, it'll be like, well, that human pox wasn't great, but at least I didn't get large asteroid syndrome. The hard part evolutionarily was getting from prokaryotic cells to eukaryotic ones, and then getting from single-celled organisms to multicellular ones. Earth is around 4.5 billion years old, a timescale I simply cannot get my head around. Instead, let's imagine Earth's history as a calendar year, with the formation of Earth being January 1st and today being December 31st at 11.59pm. The first life on Earth emerges around February 25th. Photosynthetic organisms first appear in late March. Multicellular life doesn't appear until August or September. The first dinosaurs, like Eoraptor, show up about 230 million years ago, or December 13th in our calendar year. The meteor impact that heralds the end of the dinosaurs happens around December 26th. Homo sapiens aren't a part of the story until December 31st at 11.48pm. Footnote. Agriculture and large human communities and the building of monolithic structures all occur within the last minute of this calendar year. The Industrial Revolution, two world wars, the invention of basketball, recorded music, the electric dishwasher, and vehicles that travel faster than horses all happen in the last couple of seconds. End footnote. Put another way, it took Earth about 3 billion years to go from single-celled life to multicellular life. It took less than 70 million years to go from Tyrannosaurus rex to humans who can read and write and dig up fossils and approximate the timeline of life and worry about its ending. Unless we somehow manage to eliminate all multicellular life from the planet, Earth won't have to start all the way over, and it will be okay, at least until the oceans evaporate and the planet gets consumed by the sun. But we'll be gone by then, as will our collective and collected memory. I think part of what scares me about the end of humanity is the end of those memories. I believe that if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, it does make a sound. But if no one is around to play Billie Holiday records, those songs really won't make a sound anymore. We've caused a lot of suffering, but we've also caused much else. I know the world will survive us, and in some ways it will be more alive. More birdsong, more creatures roaming around, more plants cracking through our pavement, rewilding the plant we terraformed. I imagine coyotes sleeping in the ruins of the homes we built. I imagine our plastic still washing up on beaches hundreds of years after the last of us is gone. I imagine moths having no artificial light toward which to fly, turning back to the moon. 
There is some comfort for me in knowing that life will go on even when we don't. But I would argue that when our light goes out, it will be Earth's greatest tragedy. Because while I know humans are prone to grandiosity, I also think we are by far the most interesting thing that has ever happened on Earth. It's easy to forget how wondrous humans are, how strange and lovely. Through photography and art, each of us has seen things we'll never see. The surface of Mars, the bioluminescent fish of the deep ocean, a 17th century girl with a pearl earring. Through empathy, we've felt things we might never have felt otherwise. Through the rich world of imagination, we've seen apocalypses, large and small. We're the only part of the known universe that knows it's in a universe. We know we are circling a star that will one day engulf us. We're the only species that knows it has a temporal range. Complex organisms tend to have shorter temporal ranges than the simple ones, and humanity faces tremendous challenges. We need to find a way to survive ourselves, to go on in a world where we are powerful enough to warm the entire planet, but not powerful enough to stop warming it. We may even have to learn how to survive our own obsolescence, as technology learns to do more of what we do better than we can do it. But we are better positioned to solve our biggest problems than we were 100 or 1,000 years ago. Humans have more collective brain power than we've ever had, and more resources and more knowledge collected by our ancestors. We are also, shockingly, stupidly persistent. Early humans probably used many strategies for hunting and fishing, but a common one was persistence hunting. In the persistence hunt, the predator relies on tracking prowess and sheer perseverance. We would follow prey for hours, and each time it would run away from us, we'd follow it, and it would run away again, and we'd follow it, and it would run away again, until finally the quarry became too exhausted to continue. That's how for tens of thousands of years we've been eating creatures faster and stronger than us. We just keep going. We spread across seven continents, including one that is entirely too cold for us. We sailed across oceans towards lands we couldn't see and couldn't have known we would find. One of my favorite words is dogged. I love a dogged pursuit and dogged efforts and dogged determination. Don't get me wrong. Dogs are indeed very dogged, but they ought to call it human, human determination. For most of my life, I've believed we're in the fourth quarter of human history, and perhaps even in the last days of it. But lately, I've come to believe that such despair only worsens our already slim chance at long-term survival. We must fight like there is something to fight for, like we are something worth fighting for. Because we are. And so, I choose to believe that we are not approaching the apocalypse, and the end is not coming. And we will find a way to survive the coming changes. Change, Octavio Butler wrote, is the one unavoidable, irresistible, ongoing reality of the universe. And who am I to say we are done changing? Who am I to say that Butler was wrong when she wrote, the destiny of Earthseed is to take root among the stars? These days, I choose to believe that our persistence and our adaptability will allow us to keep changing with the universe for a very, very long time. So far, at a paltry 250,000 years, it's hard to give humanity's temporal range more than one star. But while I initially found my brother's words distressing, these days I find myself repeating them and believing them. He was right. He always is. The species will survive this, and much more to come. And so, in hope and in expectation, I give our temporal range four stars.